You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Today, we're going to talk about a hot topic that's on everybody's mind. If if uh, if you woke up and went to work anywhere in the last uh, 18 months, you've probably heard somebody talk about the big quit with uh, the thing that's going on in the employment game. And and uh, today, my guest has uh, actually written a book about that, and we're going to dive in. Her name is Mary Lou Martin. Mary Lou, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you so much, Doug. A pleasure to be here. Yeah, if you're watching this on video, you get a great image in the background of her book. I know most of you that are going to watch or listen to this anyway through a podcast stream service. Tell us a little bit about your background, Mary Lou, how you kind of got into this and how this uh, topic has become so near and dear to your heart. Absolutely. What's interesting is years ago, my studies have always been somewhere around learning, learning and development. I have always been a lifelong learner myself. And I pursued a doctoral degree a number of years ago now, and I was looking primarily at retention and the psychology behind retention. I'd worked with several organizations who had a challenge in keeping salespeople in particular. They're kind of noted for their market worth and the good ones seem to hop trains everywhere and it was very hard to keep them. And I started to think about, you know, well, what do, what do all these sales reps have in common? And I had this epiphany, you know, one of those things where you sort of are driving the car, washing your hair, whatever, and it just dawned on me that you can take the job out of the human being but you can't take the human being out of the job. And what triggered that thought was we're always all going to be human beings first and employees second. And I thought, here we're going after something with this organizational wide solutions, right? You know, trying to unmask, keep people, and it's not working. Well, then fast forward to the uh, pandemic, you know, as you said, what a difference 18 months make. And it was if all of that research and my passion for that work got blown up on an IMAX screen, you know, with Dolby surround sound. And to answer your question, I had so many people, as I've just casually shared my research life work with, and they all in unison would say, when are you going to write a book? You've got to get this in a book and get this in the hands of people now. So I did. That was the impetus. And I think my driving force behind this book is I'm a pragmatist. I'm a real grassroots kind of person. And don't tell me the way I need to empower a team is to first go build a foundational and authentic culture filled with trust. I don't even know what that means, let alone a leader with feet on the street trying to manage that, you know? <laughs> so the book is hands-on, tactical tools. There's even a section at the end of each chapter. If you don't want to read the whole book, take what I call the take five. There's the top five things to walk away with. And then I've got a survival kit that's filled with over 75 pages of just tactical scripts, checklists. If you're telling me get to know my people, what does that mean? Here's things you can ask them. Um, if you're telling me make sure your new employee has a great first day because that's certainly going to set the tone. What does that mean? 
you don't have to worry about it. Here's a checklist. <laughs> so I've tried to make it as easy as possible. And that's what brings me to the work I'm doing currently. Well, I, I love what you said about, you know, grassroots, well-grounded ideas. And obviously, as the name of this show suggests, I'm a big yes. fan of talking about leadership with common sense ideas because business is just too darn complicated now. We've We've overcomplicated it. And, and the other thing that comes to mind in what you were describing, as you were talking about the human side of dealing with our employees, which it seems so obvious, but we miss it so <laughs> badly all the time. So true. <laughs> I, I knew an HR guy here in, in my area that uh, wrote a book. He said, uh, and he was a lifelong HR professional, he said, I love human resources if it weren't for the people. <laughs> Yes. I've heard that very same phrase from someone I was working with, a young leader. And he said, after checking in six months later, how's it going? Do you like it? He goes, yeah, you know, Mary Lou, leadership would be great if it weren't for the people. Yeah. And I thought, boy, yeah. you nailed it. That is what so many leaders struggle with today. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I can really relate to what you're describing, you know, with these themes, theories, and ideas. People say, you know, build a culture based on trust. Well, what the heck does that mean? Yeah. How, or how do you do it? I mean, I get <laughs> the concept. Maybe, right. you know, trust has value. Trust has meaning at, the, at its purest sense. But how right. do I turn that into what we do eight to five or nine to five or whatever our schedule allows? That is so true. So let's, let's talk first. Let's get back to this idea of the big quit. And um, I, I know people have come up with other names for the phenomenon that's going on. Right. I was just talking with a, a guest who's going to be on my show soon. He is a, a placement professional. Mm -hmm. and he's got a really dynamic thought, and I'm not going to steal any of his thunder, but what we were talking about was the phenomenon that as part of the pandemic, so many employees feel much more power than they've ever felt before. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, ag agreed, I think, one of the driving forces behind this phenomenon that employers, everywhere you turn, people have open jobs. They've got budget that will allow more headcount than what they can land and find in the marketplace. True. Uh, what are you seeing as some of the drivers that's causing this big upheaval? Yeah, great question. And I look at it as a formula, a recipe, if you will, for the big quit explosion. As you said, Doug, call it what we do. It's the great resignation, the great reshuffle, the big quit. You know, the point is people continue to leave in record numbers of positions they've had, and then market's extremely tight. But when you look at the why, it goes something like this. If you look back say 50 years, I've coined the phrase, this is not our grandfather's workplace. When you look back at how work got done, even on the assembly line, you know, beginning with Henry Ford, it was all about command and control and putting that employee in a position that was 99% there to meet what the employer needed. Unions were created as much of an unfortunate outcast of that issue. But you take that, those pented up years of this command and control, you throw in, say, a cup or two of real sudden acute realization, life is short. It takes a pandemic sometimes to wake us up 
in that human side. We took that on. And then we added another little small tablespoon of working from home. We just got a little taste of, wow, I think I can do it. I think, you know what? I'm not going back to work. So you put all those three aspects together and boom, there was the explosion. And even in the news feeds today, we're kind of playing chicken right now. <laughs> Employers have sort of put a line in the sand expecting people to return now full time back to the office. And that line in the sand was pushed out further and further. Labor Day was sort of the latest line in the sand. And guess who's winning? To your point, people are choosing not to come back if the expectation doesn't meet the need for flexibility of what they want in jobs now. And one last thought to this question and really laying the groundwork for what's going on. Back in the day, work was very much about our validation as people if you got a good job, it's, it was about what you did, then you were successful in life and you got a pension and you retired and you lived a good life. That has completely disappeared. The employees we're working with today are thinking, no, work is only a part of my curated slice of life that I want to go after. And if work doesn't fit into the parameters that fit in that piece of pie that I call life, I'll move on to something else, even if it takes doing 20, 30 different jobs in my career. So it's a very, very different mindset. And the people that are succeeding the most right now, the leadership teams, the senior leaders, those organizations who I see uh, succeeding and retaining their top talent, they live on the corner of psychology and leadership, and they're starting to overlay the two, and they're getting it. And so that's really what I see is going on today. Yeah, <clears throat> I totally agree. And, and, you know, back to the whole idea of the human side of this, for, for many years as an executive coach, I've challenged my leaders to understand that one element and, and this is my amateur psychologist part and i'm not a trained psychologist right. although you know i've read the books and everything but sure. there is an element that i bring in of maslow's hierarchy that you know people live working up and down that ladder they don't just sequentially climb that ladder and stay there right you know you you may be really feeling fulfilled and enriched and in, in empowered and you think you're on top of the world which is literally on top of Maslow's pyramid if you're yeah. if you know that model but all it takes is for a spouse or a child to get sick and then boom you're back down in those lower rungs of that thing got because it. you've got that threat to your safety and your well-being you know my family's under attack my family is in trouble um, my existence is questioned and the reality is that employees bounce up and down the levels of that hierarchy mm -hmm. and studies that have been published indicate to us that what our brain does to us 
when we go in that fight or flight mode, when we are feeling threatened or at risk, we lose blood flow to our frontal cortex. And that's where your big work happens. Mm -hmm. So if you show up for work, even if it's virtual, if you show up, but you know, you've got across the house in the back room, a very sick child, Mm -hmm. your focus has been interrupted. That's right. I'm, I'm smiling to myself and nodding like a little bobble doll because you literally took chapter two and three right out of my book. (laughs) (laughs) Maslow is, I think one of the most impactful gurus of human behavior that ever lived. And it's interesting. And just exactly what you said, uh, we went right back down to that psychological need for safety even our physical need for safety with that pandemic. And you keep hearing in all the literature now, oh, create, uh, create a work culture or a work environment that's mentally safe, that's emotionally safe. Well, without saying Maslow, to your point, that's exactly what needs to happen. The, The challenge is most leaders don't really know what that looks like. Right. or how to do it. And again, that was my impetus for writing the book, explaining how to do that. But you're right on. That's, that truly is the premise. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the dimensions that gets triggered also in this, this uh, tangle of, of challenge we've got right now is that the whole upheaval really digs deep into a leader's mindset and frame of reference. And if a, if a person in a position of authority, and I'm not going to say leader yet, but in a position of authority, if they have their own trust issues with the team they've got, you know, I don't trust you. If I can't see you, I don't know what you're doing. I don't trust you. That you there, Therefore, you need to get yourself back into the office and we're going to work in our environment here. Well, well that's a fundamental trust issue. Right. At, it, right. at its root. And I don't care if everybody complies and shows up, you're still going to have an unhealthy workplace. Yeah. You'll have compliance, but you won't have productivity yeah, at and, the level yeah, or the collaboration. You won't have that engagement and contribution no. to the overall effort. No, that, that's exactly right. And that's what employees are pushing back on today. And they're not willing to be in an environment where that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with you, you know, historically, the, the popular management and leadership style is, is typically called command and control. And there are many industries that still have a legacy of operating that way. Mm-hmm. And over the last couple of years, even pre-pandemic, I had the chance to go in and coach at some of those businesses. And I challenged the idea. I said to these people who had maybe been with the company 15, 20 years, and now they were in pretty senior positions, you know, where did you get your mindset about what it meant to be a leader in this Mm -hmm. company? Mm -hmm. And of course, they would immediately go back to old bosses, old, and mm-hmm. and then and then it's kind of like sins of the forefathers, you know. It's kind of like, well, where yeah. did they get the idea, and where did that happen, and where did that come from? That's exactly right. And look how Maslow fits right in there. So you have a, a and I've asked leaders this. Uh, we in our much of our research, we've looked at leaders who have scored very low 
in uh, interpersonal relationships. When their 360s are done, their surveys or their uh, employee engagement surveys. And I've looked at leaders in that population and, and it's the interesting data is anecdotally, one of the reasons they cite as having scored so poorly is, I'm just modeling the behavior that my leader shows me. And I thought, well, there you go. Isn't that Maslow's theory of the need for safety? This leader's doing the same thing, thinking, I want to keep my job. Therefore, the more I'm like my boss, the more he's going to value and like me. And therefore, I'm just going to take on that color. I see that happen time after time after time, Doug, in, um, in organizations where it's toxic from the very top. And yeah. we, and we see it. Yeah. 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 It is uh, very compelling and, and trying to make the shift in that particular mindset is a real challenge because, you know, it, it, it takes the person who has the emotional intelligence to stand mm -hmm. up and say, I'm going to do it different. Right. Right. Well, and, and what's different now, employees are putting the pressure on employers to either get it or they'll vote with their feet. And right. it's funny, I when I launched the book in April, it, it did very, very well out the gate. But I have to say there's been more interest in the book in the last 30 to 45 days. And here's what I think's happened. I really do believe employers have, even up until maybe a couple of weeks ago, have thought, well, this too shall pass. Everyone's going to get back to work. We're going to do what we did before. And life is going to go on. Well, it's not. And that's been a cold, stark realization sitting in right now to some late bloomers who are going, Oh no, right. What do we do now? <laughs> How do I do this? It's not going away. And it's, it's an interesting um, dynamic to see this in the workplace right now. Well, we've kind of talked about the, the obvious, the ones that are actually voting with their feet and walking mm -hmm. out the door, but there's another mm -hmm. layer to this pancake pile that is uh, <laughs> emerging Yes. And that's the infamous quiet quitter. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's, I just wrote that down. I thought we've got to talk about that. Very interesting. To back up to, to address that point, I want to share very briefly, uh, really a human dynamic, a presence that I talk about in the book that really breaks the code to what's going on here. And leaders can then choose to approach it and work with it and figure it out. I call it the three R's, Doug. And I want you to think about anytime you take a position, any of us, let's look at it from an employee's perspective. Anytime we've taken a position, you may have not known it um, cognitively, but you, you had a sense of these three R's and that they work like this. The first R that you're handed are those actual job requirements. You can read them in the job description. Those are the direct ones, but there's others. There could be, you now have to make a two hour commute or you can't go to your kid's um, soccer game because that's in conflict with your team meeting. You know, So those are indirect, but you've got this bucket of requirements coming at you. And typically they really start to become apparent about 
six weeks, maybe six days, depending on the job. But it takes a little while for the dust to settle when the honeymoon period's over. Now you know what you're going to have to do to succeed at this job. And that could be physically, mentally, socially, emotionally, to all those points. So picture now those requirements sitting on one side of a fulcrum, like a scale, all right, with the fulcrum in the middle. The next R to hopefully start balancing this equation are the rewards. That's the second R. Now, these are the tangibles. These are the things like your paycheck, maybe a 401k, maybe a stock option, maybe uh, you've got a benefits package, a healthcare, whatever you can scoop up off the table and put in your pocket. Those are the tangible rewards. They might be um, a benefit like I'll pay off your student loan, or I will give you um, an entree into college or a company car. You know, it could be anything, but they're tangibles. Now, so far, if those two buckets are balanced, things aren't looking too bad, right? You're putting work out, but you're getting back what you're feeling is validated for the work you're doing. Well, that would be great. And the story would end there. But here comes the human factor. The final R that's getting all the press today is the respect. To what degree am I feeling valued here? Do I have autonomy? Am I being treated with respect? We're going to even, let's come back to that in a moment, because how do you define that? Very interesting. But it's all about whether or not I'm feeling safe. So now I'm looking at this scale. And here's what's happening with the quiet quitting. Employers who don't know how to make sure this employee scale is balanced, guess what? The employees are going to do it themselves. And that's what's happening here. The employees come to the conclusion of, I'm putting out X, I'm getting back Y, and my employer is not fixing this. I want to keep this job. So you know what? I'll balance that scale myself. I'll remove a little off the requirements, and that then balances my reason to stay. Here's the problem. And you can see the configurations. Let's say you have an employee thinking, all right, I got really good uh, requirements here. I like what I'm doing. The rewards, maybe they're even better, but the respect is non-existent. Now they're going to stay, but here's the tape in their head. I hate this job. I do not want to come to work anymore, but you know what? I need this job. I need this job. So I'm going to stay and I will mentally adjust what it takes to make sure I'm not putting out more than what I'm getting back. And you can flip it as well. Let's say you're a startup. You might have a couple of entrepreneurs who are just starting businesses. They don't have deep pockets for rewards. So they have two choices. They either have to start pairing back or working with how to adapt various requirements, or they have to ratchet up the respect so much to the point that this employee is now thinking, I'm not going to get rich here, but you know what? They treat me like gold. I love this job. I am, I love what I do. I love the people I'm working with. I don't care if I'm not making enough money. I can generally pay my bills and I can be a barista. I'm good. And what we're seeing is more of that attitude right now. Yeah. People are saying, it's not worth it. 
So that quiet quitting, it's going to happen either way. Well, and I think where that plays out the most, if you think in terms of a classic bell curve of your employment population, out on one extreme end, you're really rock star performers. They're not afraid to go test the job market. You know, they're going to quit. They're going to go post for another job somewhere else, or, you know, maybe they're going to do that concurrently with still working for a little bit longer, but they're going to take action. They're, they're, they're high performers. They're action oriented. So what I tell leaders is you, you really need to have a little bit of a tier structure in your thinking that you don't want to take your rock stars for granted by any means. Oh, indeed. Indeed. And, and, Part to part of your message there, the proper respect, the proper recognition for what they're doing uh, along with that balance. But then you move back up the bell curve and you get more to that normalized middle. And I think that's where the quiet quitters live the most. Mm-hmm. Yes, because they're not quite motivated enough to say, I'm ready to pull the trigger. I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to go invest in the effort to go find another opportunity. They're they're not that motivated to do that, but they're struggling with that fulcrum that you described and and the Mm -hmm. whole thing. And it's real. I'm I'm not diminishing. It's very, very real. Top performers are very much at risk right now because leaders are having them help pick up the slack. Why? Because they can. And I call, I, I have a chapter that says, beware of the silent requirements. It's so easy to just say, oh, hey, Doug, by the way, could you just look this over real quick? Uh, you know, I, I, you could do it in two minutes. If I gave it to someone else, it would take them two days. You're so good at this. Okay, you add enough paper cuts. And if you're not upping the rewards and the respect, that top performer is at risk for yeah. leaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so true. Well, I'll tell you what, Mary Lou, we're going to take a short commercial break. This may be a good stopping point, and we're going to be right back after this message, and we're going to dive further into more of what an employer can do to fix this problem. Great. We'll be right back. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness, too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. All right, everyone, we're back. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe, and today I'm visiting with Mary Lou Martin. We have been talking about The Big Quit, and she wrote a book called The Big Quit Survival Guide. If you missed the first half of the show for any reason, please do hit the rewind and and get over there. But um, we were talking about one of the dimensions of avoiding or I should say, I guess, the the drivers behind why there's this quiet quit going on, not just the big quit when somebody's actually walking out the door, but the quiet quit, people still showing up to work, but not working at the same level they were. We were talking about this respect factor, Mary Lou, you have another couple of thoughts about that. 
Yeah, I do. Uh, respect is certainly up front and center right now with the mental and psychological safety quest we are on. And, and that's a positive thing. But I want to be very clear and not have leaders. And that's who the book's really about. It's targeted for leaders who are leading people and struggling with all of this. And here's a good example. We'll hear a lot about respect. The rally cry of so many employees is just treat me like a human being. All right, well, what does that mean? And what I have figured out, that can mean something very different to the same, to two different people. And I'll give you an example. Let's say you're a new employee on my team, Doug, and we're having a general conversation just about getting oriented to the team and the culture. And one of the things I would very much want to know is, Doug, Apart from human civility, right? We're not going to cuss each other out and swear and do all those things which are not supportive of any culture. But what really does respect look like for you? As you and I engage, you know, what are some of the behaviors that might mean, wow, my leader really does respect me as a human being? And you could say something like, well, Mary Lou, I'm new, kind of new to the industry, a little bit, you know, getting my feet wet. One of the things that would speak respect to me, if I could just ensure I have five minutes of your time, maybe every morning, could we do just like a two minute check-in in case I had any questions? I want to make sure I'm on the right track, you know, getting just sitting there and frustrated because I can't get a hold of my leader speaks volumes of disrespect to me. So if we could just do that, that would be amazing. Okay, great. Here's the problem. Now I walk away thinking, well, that's respect. <laughs> and here I'm treating every employee like that. And I might have another new employee and I have this same conversation with uh, Joan. And I say, Joan, what does respect look like for you? And she says something like, well, my biggest fear, Mary Lou, is being micromanaged. Yeah, so I was, I was thinking that. Give me my marching orders and let me fly. Yeah. We'll check in, but please, that's why I left my last job. All right, do you see how if I don't even have that 3R conversation and I'm even talking about respect to my people, I'm going to be 90% off the mark for what's individually going to engage each one of them. And the book even gives you the scripts what to say, how to have the conversation. <laughs> I've taken all the guesswork out of it, but it really is very, very powerful. And again, we're only gonna solve employee retention issues one human being at a time. Yeah. You can't throw an organizational <clears throat> solution at it. And that's what we're trying, we've been trying to do. No, an, uh, an executive I worked with a number of years ago taught me the phrase peanut butter solution. You know, you spread it like Jiffy peanut butter and it just all kind of smooths <laughs> out into the crevices. Right. And those aren't the good solutions nowadays. Not and, anymore. And to, to your point about the disparity in, in asking what's suitable and, and what's appropriate, I... Um, I'm reminded of a team coaching exercise I did a number of years ago, and this team had had been impacted by a reorganization in the company, but for the most part, the bulk of the team was the original team. They they hadn't, you know, the all of the deck chairs hadn't been moved, just a few of the deck chairs in their area. Right. But the leader was interested because of the dynamic that was going on everywhere else in the company. He thought it'd be a good time to sort of reset the table. So he asked me to come in and facilitate mm 
a session with his team. And one of the things I did, I, I kind of took a page out of Lencioni's book and I said, how about we revisit your team charter here and your team contract? How do you, how do you want to operate as a team? And I, I kind of presented the concept of what that was, which interestingly, no one had ever actually heard of at that point. And one guy just kind of, you know, folded his arms and sat back and said, ah, we don't need that. We've worked long enough together. And there was a, mm. a, a female executive sitting right next to him. And she looked at him and she said, I disagree. I don't think we have that level of understanding, despite all of our history together. Mm. She said, I don't really know how you like to look at your business. And I don't think you like, you know, exactly how I like to look at my business. Right. And she said, I'm all in favor. I want to hear more, you know, and she looked back at me and she said, tell us more about what this charter and contract idea involves. And we, you know, it, we were there for a whole day to try mm -hmm. to hammer this out and, and get it to done. And so we did. And it, it was, and at the end of the day, the, the one guy that had kind of folded his tent temporarily, it was really open. And he and he said to her, he said, I'm sorry. He said, I get it. You're right. Mm. I, I totally misspoke. We, we got a lot of work we need to do to optimize our opportunity here. Indeed. So and it that works so important right now, Doug. It's so important. Yeah. And I think having that understanding and, and, you know, you, you touched on the, um, popular buzzword that's flying around everywhere, psychological safety. And mm -hmm. it, it, of course, was elevated by the Google Aristotle project where they said, you know, what is the making of a high-performing team? And they came away with this thing, this finding after a two-year study that psychological safety was the answer. Right. But then to your point, when we open this show here, people scratch their head and go, well, what is that? What, what, what is it? <laughs> how do I, how do I, I, I get there? So yeah. I guess on that note, yeah. share with us kind of your thoughts and how you try to answer that question for people. Yeah. What is that? How do we get there? Absolutely. And I'll take it along the same vein of how we have to define respect for each of our people. So I'm a huge fan of uh, connecting with my people that I've worked with over many, many years now around the human being factor first. And we'll talk just about that. You know, what, what is psychological safety? Let's look at that. And I'll share even those insights with the team. I'll say team on a scale of one to five, do you feel psychologically safe Take it an anonymous survey, three by five card, don't need anything. Take temperature of the team culture and people, and inevitably someone will say, well, what do you mean? Great question. Let's define that as an individual. What does that even look like? And we give examples, psychological safety and where we um, build upon inclusion and um, in, uh, diversity and, and doing everything where we're looking for body language and looking for levels of participation. And as you said earlier, very, very strong attribute in the greatest of leaders, and that's emotional intelligence. They see when someone's withholding and they can read the room and they can read the person. So again, the psychology, right? That goes along with being a great leader. And so we'll define it openly, number one. We'll work with teams to individually see what members of the team define as that. And it might mean something just like respect 
very differently. Psychological safety, for example, to one employee may mean, Mary Lou, please, when I'm on vacation, do not send me an email that freaks me out and makes me so anxious. I can't enjoy my vacation. So I, I will ask you in terms of respectful behavior to work with me if there's something you need. Um, maybe text me if you have to, but by all means, let me. And again, it goes back to leaders modeling the behavior they want their people to display. So I might then have another conversation with someone who says, I need to know that when I'm finishing my work day, and this is particularly true of remote leaders, who, by the way, are showing up now more recently with the highest levels of anxiety, isolationism, depression. They love the flexibility, but they'll tell you they're working 40% on top of already giving 150% to just maintain some sort of visibility. Very difficult in that world. And so managing them is different. I would ask them, what do you need? What does that look like? And I might get something back like six o'clock, five o'clock, whatever that hour is. Psychological safety to me is knowing I can turn off the Zoom camera. I can turn off the computer. And I'm not going to get another, you know, uh, urgent message at 9.30 at night. Um, so again, uh, it goes back to asking your people specifically. And I, I, had a, I had a leader I was working with. We were talking about that. And I said, I asked the question, how are you modeling behavior for mm. your people? And she said, well, she said on this notion of extended work day, she said, I've told all my people quit when you need to quit. And I honor that and I respect that. I And I want you to know that I might be working late and I might send you an email. And if I do, you do not have to answer it if it's after the time you quit. And I said to this person, I said, whoa. <laughs> whoa said, is right. <laughs> I said, that has no, no credibility whatsoever. And that's I, passive aggressive with a capital P-A. <laughs> I said, you've got to know that that's no. not working. And no. she thought a minute and she said, yeah, you, you know, you're, you're right. She says, I don't understand why they don't get it. I said, they don't get it because you're the boss. <laughs> exactly. And there's that psychological safety. Got to do there's what the boss an implied says. expectation, that right. silent requirement. Right. That if the boss is working on this, it must be something big. And, and no, I don't want to, you know, be greeted tomorrow morning with this thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to mm -hmm. fire back up my laptop and I'm going to go check it out and see what's going on. Right. And if there's enough habit of that, you, you know that um, that's going on. But, but as I say that, tell you that story, I, I laugh. I, one of my senior bosses in my last days in my banking career, she was famous for waking up at three and four in the morning and doing stuff and sending messages out. So you would get to work and there would be this string of things already in the inbox. Mm. And for us, she had, I was one of four direct reports she had. And it kind of almost became a five person team joke. It's like, okay, well, 
she didn't sleep again last night. You know, what are we <laughs> going to do? And, but yeah. we, we, yeah. Uh, and perhaps it was our own seniority in the organization. We could do this. We took her word that just because she sent it at three didn't mean we needed to be online at three, mm. you know, looking at it, we mm -hmm. truly could pick it up in the course of our normal day. And if it indicated an urgency, we would deal with it at that point. Right. But for the, for the, I don't want to use the word average employee, but for the regular employee right. that there's a, there's a subtle message when the boss sends you something. Well, and the other thing too, Doug, you made a point there that's important to capture. It took time for you to come to the conclusion that even though she sent the message off hours, you really didn't need to respond. That took some time to build that trust. What's more dangerous about that thinking in today's workplace, employees may not give you even that much time to be able to even come to the conclusion, okay, Mary Lou doesn't really mean it, but, but the first time that that email goes out, they could have gone right there and said, whoa, this is not the culture I want to work in. So yeah. we do have to be very, very careful, especially now. You know, it's just, uh, as I said, people are, um, they're voting with their feet very quickly. It sounds like you've got a Ton of good information chalked in your book. You you mentioned the the tools, tips, and tricks at the back, seventy five something pages. But right. can you can you boil that down? Are there <laughs> three to five really you know yeah. key themes that a leader ought to be thinking about? Yes, ab absolutely. And again, um, people who purchase the book, there's a passcode inside um, the book and they can uh, go to the website and download all of the tools and techniques for free. And there's lots of information free as well on my website um, and they can look at the blogs and such to see all of that. I would say one of the most popular and I think extremely helpful tools right now that I'll share with our listeners today is to include your team in even defining what the human factor is and the cult, what is the culture we want. There's a lot of talk about that. And here's a way to do it. Hand out three by five cards, whatever. Again, it's, it's anonymous and say to the team, I'd like you to think about a situation if we invited and fill in the name of the highest senior leader, the owner, whatever the person is, the highest of ranking in your organization. If we had Doug, let's say, come in and kind of watch our team and see what it is in the day of the life of our team, what three words would you want Doug to walk away with that describes what Doug saw and felt that day. And have them write these down independently because you want input from everybody. And then you may do it immediately if you've got some help or you could do it in the next meeting, but you now tabulate that data. And you're gonna see some themes there. Say for example, a productive or collaborative or kind or uh, achievers, you know, fill in those words. Now you're going to come out with those three words. You bring that back to the team and say, all right, team, let's look at each one of these. What behaviors are we manifesting in every way possible that would drive that particular word? 
And now it becomes very, it, it takes the pie out of the sky. Who doesn't want to be all those words? And then we go back and do our jobs. Yeah. But you know, the other thing to that, what people want today, include me. I want to, I want to matter. People are leaving jobs as much for psychological safety as they are for feeling they don't make a difference. There's no belonging. Right. There's no purpose to what I'm doing. And so that's a bonus point for doing an activity like that. So the book is filled with those kinds of things. That's one of my favorite. Yeah. I love that theme and, and the way that I've typically implemented it with clients is I've challenged my managers and leaders that, that I'm coaching with to tell me what their vision for the team has become. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not just a, a piece of work that they as the leader did, but did they do a, a team level exercise to define mission, vision, and purpose? And those are, you know, usually big corporate buzzwords, but what I'll tell people is the reason I challenge you to do that is that you do have the big corporate mission, vision, purpose. And, you know, it gets put up in gold letters on the wall at the corporate headquarters and all that. But the challenge is <clears throat> to get there, we do need to be the sum of the parts. So if you're got, if you're the leader of a particular line of business or a particular segment, how have you distilled, you know, that, bigger picture into a specific mission, vision, and purpose mm -hmm. for your own team. Mm -hmm. And does the team get it? Has the team right. embraced it? Has the team ultimately perfect world? Have they helped write it? Exactly right, Doug. If they don't participate, it becomes a show and tell. Yeah. And there's anything but engagement with show and tell right now. We can't even enforce that going back to the command and control. No, That's no. so over. <laughs> well, and we said it earlier in the show, the idea of helping everybody understand what a win can look like. Mm -hmm. You know, what's it going to take to be successful in this job and on this team? And what's an individual win? What's a team win? And ultimately the greater good, what's the company doing and what are, how are they benefiting from your effort and the value that's added? Right. So, um, well, this has been wonderful. Uh, tell everybody how they can best get a hold of you if they're interested in knowing more and getting all those golden nuggets out of your website. All those tactical tools and things that you don't have to think about. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. My website is simply bigquitsurvivalguide.com. Big quitsurvivalguide.com. Okay. So if you stop by there, there's lots of free information there, as well as <clears throat> there is a, <clears throat> excuse me, if you purchase the book, there is a passcode that will give you all, you can print them out. What I love about it, you can print them out in eight and a half by 11 size printables that you can actually use and take to a meeting, have an employee conversation as you're exploring three R's. So it just literally lifted out of the book. Very nice. Well, Mary Lou, thanks again for sharing. I'm sure this has uh, been a big value to everybody, and uh, I really appreciate you sitting in with us. Well, truly my pleasure. Thank you so much, Doug, for the opportunity. And as you said, leadership powered by common sense is something so after my own heart in helping these leaders with what we're trying to all do today in leading people. Common sense. Thank yeah. you so much. <clears throat> well, you're very welcome. 
And on that note, folks, we are going to wrap it up. I do want to remind you of a couple of things, as I did allude to earlier, if you're listening in your uh, favorite uh, podcast channel, we do have a video version of this over on YouTube, a channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. And again, thank you for listening in. I hope to see you again real soon. Take care. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.